Talk Brunch. Served hot. Talk Brunch live. Rick Dower here, aka Captain Brunch, bringing you the AW All Out 2020 post show, which just went off the air a little while ago. And I am flying solo tonight. My co-host is occupied at a wedding out of town, as he explained to you guys in the previous episode. And it was up in the air whether or not we were going to be doing this, but then I just decided, you know what, I want a shorter show Monday. Easiest way to do that would be for us to talk about this while it's still white hot. So that being said, welcome to the AEW All Out 2020 Post Show, August 5th, officially August 6th, Eastern Time. Since they went off the air, kind of late. And yeah, pretty interesting. Definitely gotta say, uh, it's longer. It's incredible nowadays that I venture to say AEW are putting on the longest pay-per-views out of any wrestling company right now. Because WWE are definitely doing the shortest. So, it's interesting to see that dynamic there. Also, shout out to everybody listening in the chat. We'll shout you guys at the end of the show, as we always do. Also, of course, you guys listening on every single podcatcher app, including iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and all that other jazz. Thank you, of course, on Twitch and Facebook, etc., etc., so I hope you guys enjoyed that show. I know that there were some polarizing matches and moments and maybe not necessarily everything resonated with you, but we're definitely going to have to see how we feel. This is actually my first, what have I been doing this over six years? This is probably my first time ever going on the air solo, which was one of the reasons I actually wanted to do it. I figured, you know what? I've never done a solo launch. Like there are people who have done like less stuff than I have that have done solo launches. And I'm thinking like, at this point, that should be something that's off the bucket list, no? Like, it's just one of those things where it's like, why not do it? I know, I know the pace will be a little bit different because there's no one there to uh, to do the relief when you want to take a sip of your coffee or soda, etc. As now, for example. Cheers. Anyway. All right. So, let's get right into uh, our thoughts on this all out. Uh, so, basically... I'm going to say this in general about the production. AEW needs more instant replays. Like, I'm surprised with their production that we aren't seeing replays of bigger spots like we do in any other show. I mean, it was something more so in the uh, in the kickoff than something that you saw, like, in the singles matches or in the, uh, in the tag team matches later on in the night. But it was something that kind of got on my nerves. Uh, kickoff was Joey Janela with Sonny Kiss against Serpentico being accompanied by Luther. Uh, voting results show 100% of you saw Joey Janela going over. I I don't know why, but you were all right because uh, Janela goes over with that uh, top rope elbow finish that he does. And uh, you know what? Janela, uh, he's looking better than usual. Uh, that's the most that I could really say. Like physically, he didn't look sloppy anymore. Like not as much. Like last time we saw him, he looked terrible. That time where he tried to run off the two guys. Remember that spotty did? He tried to like run off the two guys' backs, and like he fell forward and he flopped. He looked floppy before that because I remember I was sitting here watching it live and I was commenting before that happened. Where I was like, "Oh, he looks awful," and then he fell, and it made it even more terrible. I was like, oh, "Are you kidding me? Really bad." 
But uh, this time, I got to say, he looks like he took it seriously. I don't know if someone's talked to him or if he, he did some soul searching or what exactly happened here. But, uh, you know, nice blue thunder bomb from him. Um, good form on the moonsault. He came off the top rope with like a... Well, he, he that's the that's the one thing. Like, even though he he sort of still has the internal way because when he came off the top rope, it was like a bank safe coming down. You know what I mean? That into the fisherman buster, not too bad. Serpentico is always really looking solid. Oh, uh, that leg grabbing spot where like Luther grabbed uh, Janela's leg on the outside looked bad. You know. So here's the thing. All right, and it, it might just be something you catch when you're watching this for long periods of time. I don't know if you guys would notice it, but like so. You have Janela, right? And he's he's essentially on the ropes. And then you have uh, this guy, Luther, who grabs his leg. The thing about when someone grabs your leg is the selling is what makes it important. Like, get the fuck off my leg. Like, they re- react the way you would, like, if somebody would really be... Like, imagine if you were somewhere and someone who you didn't like or was your opponent grabbed your ankle from underneath you. Without even thinking about it, <laughs> you get that off. You start shaking them off your leg. So it's like the, the issue with me here is, uh, he's basically standing there, you know, where it's like Janela's standing there, looking down at him, like he's waiting, and that's the part that really annoys me. He's just standing there, staring at Luther. He's not selling his leg being caught. He's waiting for the late Sunny Kiss, by the way, to bump him off because I don't know where he was where it's like okay you're someone's grabbing your opponent's leg but the point is this whole sequence is a little bit out of sync <laughs> you know where it's like you got the guy standing up there and uh, he and you got to kind of sell I can't even blame Sonny for not being there immediately but just don't make it look like you're waiting up there for the spot while someone's grabbing your leg go back and look at it, it looks a little strange no one so there's a, a real lack of selling in this uh, company overall that's something that really concerns me. And uh, yeah, aside from that, Janela looked less fat, less sweaty. Good for him. Good stuff there. Uh, first match was what you would expect. This was, again, this is the buy-in. This is their version of WWE's kickoff. They call it the buy-in. So that's what we had there. Uh, the next buy-in match was a tag team match. It's the private party, Isaiah Cassidy and Mark Quinn, going against Dark Order members Alex Reynolds and John Silver. This was 50-50 exactly in the community. As far as who you guys thought was going to go over with this one. To finish being private party. Going over with Gin and Juice. Which it surprises me that it was 50-50. Because to be honest with you guys. Uh, with as much work as they put into private party. I would have been surprised if the two Dark Order dudes. John Silver and the other guy would have would have actually won this. You know. They put him with Matt Hardy. They try to give him like a personality. And yeah they're green and everything. But they're they're trying to build them so it would just be weird for two random like the under dark order guys like I, I barely remember alex reynolds and john silver like i only know i'm just now remembering uh what's his name i already forgot it the one that's not uh luke harper that was running shit before evil uno him and it's the easiest to remember because he's number one he's the evil one but uh i always forget that guy like they don't have a presence that's the problem with that dark order gimmick it doesn't matter how much they try to put into their personalities they all just look like a bunch of putties, you know? So uh, I couldn't imagine Private Party with as much personality as they gave them. And then they have this pay-per-view here. And uh, you, you have Long John Silver and fucking Alex Reynolds going over him. Are you kidding me? So, uh, but yeah, that, that uh, speaking of, the John Silver guy, he's stealing Omega's rope knees. Like, I know 
wrestling you can do whatever but i mean it looks identical like when you like when the guy's leaning over the ropes you know and that's in almost that 619 setup position and then like you know the way omega would come running from behind like give him that really wild knee to their back where they slumped over like that that guy literally does it like verbatim and it's funny to see like a a, a freaking dark order guy doing it so i don't know i don't get it with that entire thing um i did like that spinning power bomb style move that he did though it was almost like a almost a blue thunder but like a release i don't know what you would call it um and the double teaming from the dark order also was really solid um you know they did like a cutter into like a german style thing and a few cool sequences here and there so again two good kickoff matches like i don't think most people watched it this was a crazy schedule because like they literally made it AEW day because they had like the red carpet and this was on youtube exclusively and this was like i think at four or five p.m and then after that, they had the, uh, what was it called? The Countdown to All Out, which was exclusively on TNT Drama. And then when that was over, which I believe was an hour, they had the uh, All Out uh, Red Carpet Part 2 back on YouTube. This was all literally live programming. And then that led into finally AEW buy-in for the last hour on YouTube before you then go over to the pay-per-view. So very interesting night and kudos to you loyal fans out there that bounced around from service to service to keep to keep catching the same people and and that's to me what made it funny because you jump in channels and it's literally tony shivani there again like he hasn't moved from the spot he hasn't taken a sip of his water nothing like you're going you're jumping and scrolling and searching and all this shit you hit the button to load the next thing and there he is (laughs) just standing there again so uh why this couldn't be done in one long sequence, I'm assuming because of sports and stuff or other channels having other obligations. But then at that point, why not just put the whole thing on YouTube? Why have an hour on TNT drama? And if you're going to have an hour on TNT drama, at least make it that one block. You know what I mean? Like go to YouTube, go to TNT drama for an hour, then come back to YouTube. <laughs> it's just weird. Just really interesting programming schedule that they had. It was nuts. So now we get to the pay-per-view where... uh I didn't even realize it was a match. I got to say, I didn't even realize it was the match. I thought we were still watching stuff just because of the way it started. Cause it was like uh big swall just walking into the dental office. So I'm thinking it's interesting that they're starting the pay-per-view like to do a storyline. You know, we're going to get some more storyline before we actually start the pay-per-view I'm looking at the clock. Like it's like eight Oh one. That's strange. You know, normally you get the, you know, like we get to the ringside and stuff. So I'm thinking this is going to be some sort of thing. And apparently this is one of those kind of situations where it's a match that uh you know one of those backstage special pandemic style matches that we get treated to every now and then so um yeah lucky us with that one um you know i didn't really hate it just because of the intrigue of having a dentist like isn't it funny like not like as a kid you didn't like the idea of there being a dentist gimmick and now it's kind of interesting because this is like a shoot dentist in a work gimmick so, yeah, and it's it's wild. The whole personality of everything happened. But yeah, this, this has a, uh, an interesting opening here. Where, uh, with Big, so I'm going to let you guys see how the pay-per-view opens. And I'll link you guys to it. Right in the wrong. Ah. Well, good afternoon. First time patients must fill out a form. First name, please. Swole. Big Swole, ho. Brendan! <laughs> <laughs> she takes her out. <laughs> so i'm thinking oh so this is going to be the match the match actually happens in the dentist's office that's dangerous as hell by the way 
don't ever fight in a dentist's office. Like, I hope I never have to see any of you in a dentist's office fighting for your life. Because, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that happens here. Things I never even thought about. It's way worse than the Isaac Yankum days. So, good good job on the heel dentist here. That being said, this being the match, Britt Baker, DMD versus Big Swall, with 75% of you thinking Britt Baker's going over, 25% of you thinking it would be Big Swall. And you know what? For me, I was with that 75% because I kind of figured Britt Baker has been like on the injury, but yet sustaining the character and an entire angle almost by herself from a chair. So you got to give her something to run with that heel gimmick. But unfortunately, no, uh, Big Swole literally puts Brit to sleep. And we're going to get back to that. But uh, yeah, she beats up, uh, she beat, she beats up poor uh, Reba. <laughs> I like that her Twitter handle literally is at, at rebel, not Reba. Like that's a good handle to have staying within the character of the entire thing. But yeah, so she winds up taking her out there. And uh, it was interesting because of the way this was shot. I don't want to show you guys going to have to go experience it for yourself. But there's a point where like she's looking at a computer or at some desk or something. And Brit's like suddenly coming out of like the darkness behind her where it's like a, a fucking horror movie like this. And then literally the music is, is like sort of accommodating like her creeping up. They did like that 80s horror moment for her. You know, which was just really strange to see her just come and emerge from the back like that. And what was even weirder was after she came out, she, what, what do you think she did? Do you think she, A, did what you would do when you're in that horror sequence and have like a horror jump scare moment? Or B, casually, as casual as an intern, walk into the fucking room? Because it's B, folks. She literally, she casually, I don't even know how, how Big Swole wouldn't see. Just because of how casually she walks into the room. And hits her. Like the way you would take out your trash. It was just incredible to me. Like the way, you have to go back and look at the way that this, this was uh, this was shot. I, I was losing it, man. She tried to dentist her to death with all this crazy shit. We had Reva who she tried to hit her what was that, with, the, with a suction hose or with the thing that might be the shit that shoots water at you. She tried to water her down. Like, come on, you're trying to, you're going to have her sell that. I'm glad she didn't sell that. I was scared that Swole was going to sell that. Because think about it. That thing's directly in your mouth blowing at your face you know like they put it in your mouth where it's like hooked to the side of your cheek that's not gonna hit you from a distance <laughs> like what do we have what do we have going on here man uh so it's funny though the comedic part of that even though i know some people are put off by the uh the craziness of of uh, aew's comedy at this point but uh yeah you had like your violence they fought on top of the dumpsters you have brit ddt swore onto the dumpster again we have not much selling in this match that's something that i've noticed that's like an underlying tone with them we're like come on you got ddt on top of that shit nobody nobody sold their head or, or even when they were like walking forward or going through different points like put their like palm on their forehead the way someone who takes a head bump would at one point there were a lot of things like that where uh you know like the 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 nasty uh swinging neck breaker that brit hits wall with like she was okay after that you know like everybody's like all right going into the next thing it's crazy it's almost like they're superheroes you know swole hits like an uppercut i'm talking like a hardcore like mortal Kombat style where she comes from the ground she rakes the fucking ground with her knuckles and like goes into the air and hits her and she fucking sells it wonderfully you know, can you imagine getting hit by an uppercut like that? Your fucking body would literally, like, you'd go flying into the air. You'd be all twirled. Like, it's just crazy to me. It was like an uppercut. She, she never sells her chin or anything like that. You know, and as, you know what? It was an uppercut into a headbutt. So it was like, boom, she spins, grabs her, and then headbutts her, you know? So, uh, I don't know. It was just interesting. Like, I like the violence in these matches, but, but damn, 
Is there is there a little bit of selling? The reason they get away with it with some people is because a lot of these these uh, shows that that don't do the WWE style, the more methodical style. A lot of them they do these fast paced styles. The action's happening so fast that you almost don't really get a chance to think about the fact that nobody's selling. So it almost works when it's done correctly. I'm not saying I'm against that style. But in a lot of cases, like with this, it's like, man, you guys are fucking each other up really badly for no one to really be getting hurt. But uh, long story short, I digress back to the match. Britt at one point gets uh, swollen to a dentist chair. But but the drill that she tried to drill her with was like a fucking power drill, like from Home Depot. Like, like she literally, she, she <laughs> it's funny how now at this point we're using real, she tried to drill her. Like this was this was not going to be just a straight up homicide in the dental office. So she tried to drill her, and then uh, she winds up going for like a Novocaine syringe, but then Swole winds up countering that, and she stabs it into Britt's own leg. And uh, poor Britt is now woozy in one leg, and it's just weird. I thought this was a little weird extra thing that they did where she takes Britt's diploma and punches it, but it's like, and I punch your diploma. And uh, basically, the ending, as I said, getting back to the beginning of this, with 75% of you being wrong, finishes Big Swole literally puts Britt to sleep because she gas masks her. And uh, it was a wonderful gas masking because of what you get with it. Because as she's going out, the last thing you hear is JR going, I love that stuff. (laughs) And that just stayed with me. You know, last thing, I love that stuff. He's talking about the gas, you know, because he's been under the knife a few times. But I just, <laughs> JR, man, uh, he really makes that show for me in a different way from the way he made the Raw back in the 90s and so on. But he really makes the show for me in in a different way. Like, I, I'm almost more relatable to today's JR than the old JR. Oh, boy. So, what was after this? We had the uh, the tag team match. This was the first tag team match of the night this was well aside from the kickoff or i'm sorry the buy-in i don't want wwe to sue us uh so this was young bucks against the jurassic express and this feud just real quickly because they threw this together at like the last last minute sort of culminated from uh the 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 uh dynamite this past wednesday because the bucks were just working as heels they were being dicks they were like on the same team as the Jurassic Express and like they weren't tagging them in, they were treating them like crap and it was a miscommunication and they all had their fuck off moments there. So uh, it's interesting how I can't tell what's going on. I guess that's good with this where you can't really tell who the heels are. Some would say it's good for the, uh, the show. Some would say it's bad for the show. But uh, sometimes you wonder because this whole thing started in the elite where it looked like adam page was going to be the guy who's just garbage it's like he's this shitty guy and all these good guys he's going to mess it up for everybody and then over time it literally became him being like the hero to the point where he even showed up on a fucking horse you know like that much of a hero you know who, how many people can say that you don't get more over than that where you can ride in on a horse and save everyone so he became that kind of a character so it was kind of like is this the, the heel stuff you know like, is this the guy that's supposed to turn and, and i started to think not really and then every now and then Kenny Omega just had these weird dickish moments. But at first, even that seemed like Adam Page was the one being like stubborn and shitty. And Omega was like, the, oh, come on, guys. Why? You know, why don't we? But then even that sort of started to turn. So it was just weird how uh, just the way everything's shifting here. They don't make it black and white. It's all shades of gray, at least up to this point, which I find interesting. So again, 
the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson against the Jurassic Express, Jungle Boy, and Luchasaurus being accompanied by Marco Stunt. 77% of you feel the Young Bucks were going over on this. 23% of you had it for the Jurassic Express. Finish being the BTE Trigger, which are the dual knee- knees coming from both sides and across attack on Jungle Boy. And, uh, yeah, it was it was good, you know. At the end of the day, these guys can't... Uh, can't push the Jurassic Express or the or the Lucha Express as JR affectionately called them on both Wednesday and now Saturday. We can't have the the, the Lucha Express going over the Bucks right now while they're in this storyline, especially when the only reason why they're not going for the tag titles is because of the situation with Adam Page. So I think it's fine. I'm okay with the way this entire thing turned out as far as uh for the time being, yeah, let those guys do what they have to do. They were they were good for the work though. You know, that tail whip flatliner combo that, uh, what's his name does? Luchasaurus, that looked pretty cool. The bulldog dropkick combo, of course, from the Bucks, always looking pretty. Um, Jungle Boy had that cool spot where he went over with that, uh, top leg scissors. I thought was really solid. These guys have really good chemistry. You know, I always really like that about them. Like, everybody on here seems to, uh, communicate well. It was interesting to see them now have the Bucks working as heels. You know, just something that you wouldn't have expected up to this point. So, uh, yeah. Like I said, I think that that was a solid match. I'm glad that they didn't uh, freaking pre-show these guys. Here's a little sequence here. So you guys could take a look. Those of you that have the videos up on your uh, thing here. You know, Young Bucks is always with good teamwork here. You know, Luchasaurus is solid. A good movie. He's probably the only other good big man that that's mobile like that besides like Baron Corbin. You know, like there's a guy who he moved very well. Oh, well. Good for them. Also, Matt Jackson with those fishermen's. Uh, there was that. You know, I like those fishermen's. He does. You know, when he comes over and he stays, he he continues to hook the, the 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 neck and go over again and continue. But that's that dangerous point where they dangle over the rope, still holding each other's necks and shit. And this sort of I've never seen that until recently in wrestling. Maybe it's somehow eluded me for years and it's always been there. I don't know. But uh, that that little sequence where the two of them are like dangling like that really concerns me. You know, and it's not even worth it. It's not like the payoff that spot looks good enough that you should uh fuck your necks up. A neck is a death sentence in wrestling. You guys all know that. You know, so why even tempt fate that way? Uh Luchasaurus with that moonsault to the outside on the Bucks looked really solid. Um, and I did get a certain amount of enjoyment on Matt Jackson kicking Marco's crutch out from underneath him. And then when he doesn't have the crutch and he's unbalanced, just super kicking him in the face, like on the outside. I do like the Bucks better as heels. As much as that whole good guy thing, everybody's been eating it up all this time. Certain things that I'm seeing, I do miss. Like, I did like that that happened. It did make me sort of smile. Like, it was like, yeah, fuck Marco stuff. <laughs> But yeah, overall solid. Very solid up to this point. You know, very entertaining stuff. Good sequences. They definitely saved a lot of this stuff for the big show. So next, we have the uh, Casino Battle Royale, which was a bit of a clusterfuck, I must say. Um, They didn't really tell us, like I told you guys on Monday, they didn't tell us exactly who the people are that were going to be in this. So we were left with a poll that only had like two names on it. And then even when they announced the names, a lot of the names were unannounced. 
uh, I know on the poll we had Eddie Kingston and Lance Archer, Blade, Ryan Cage, Pentagon Jr., Ray Phoenix, Ricky Starks, Darby Allen, The Butcher, uh, Pepper Parks, uh, Andy Sullivan, Kazarian, Santana, Ortiz, Christopher Daniels, Jake Hager, Sean Spears, Tremberetta, Chucky T. And there were a few other people on there. Uh, but you guys only really voted for four people on the top being number one, Darby Allen, with 35% of you saying he's going to win this battle royal. Uh, Sean Spears, 29% of you. Lance Archer, 24% of you. Christopher Daniels, 12% of you, with the winner of this being Lance Archer. And uh, I don't know if that alone was the problem with this. There were a whole bunch of different things. Has it always been like this? And I've just never noticed, because to me, what was annoying about it was the rules. You got five people who enter at the same time for three minutes. And then after those three minutes, another five people enter, right? So the problem with that is that it just feels like there's not enough time all the time. You know what I mean? Like by the time the five people have entered, enter, there's like a minute and a half left until five more people who are going to enter, enter. So it just felt like never ending entrances while wrestling was happening at the same time. You know, I know they don't want to exactly copy other companies and things other companies do. But at the same time, when you look at regular battle royals and the Royal Rumble, um, that's to me one of the cool draws of it because realistically the match isn't going to be better than a regular match. It's a clusterfuck. You have 30 guys and there's going to be certain things that you're not going to be able to do. But what makes it exciting is the fact that you get the 30 second anticipation of who's it going to be. And then when they come out, you get to take that moment and of, oh, it's this guy. He's coming in there now. What's that going to mean for this and this person? You know, but with this, it was like five people. You're trying to wrap your brain around who's being eliminated while who the five that are coming in. You had people being eliminated during other people's intros almost constantly. You know, so it's like to me that kind of takes away from the match. I'm able to keep up with it, but that doesn't mean I'm able to enjoy it. Those are two big different things. But anyway, so they start off with the five, the first five people. It's uh, Christopher Daniels, Ray Phoenix, Jake Hager, Tremberetta, and Blade. And, uh, then after that, I believe it was Kazarian, Will Hobbs, Chucky T, Santana, and Ortiz. And uh, so then you wind up with all of those guys in there. So there were a few interesting things. You still had the PNP feud with Chucky T before he even gets in. They wind up beating him up on the outside with a baton. And they wind up double suplex, double team suplexing him on the outside. Uh, this guy uh, that was in there, Will Hobbs, I don't know who the hell that was. You know what I mean? To top off the fact that... uh. You got all these people. Obviously, we're kind of limited on spots here. And when look at the names that I told you guys, you know, like people like Ray Phoenix, Christopher Daniels. You got Kazarian, Chuck Taylor, Santana and Ortiz, and then fucking Hobbs. Like, what the hell is he doing there? You know, uh, he eliminated Blade. So that goes to show you where Blade is on the food chain. Huh? They didn't give a fuck about Blade. Hobbs. I bet people are backstage right now over... <laughs> Or if I catering, hey, do you hear that Hobbs eliminated Blade? That's rough, man. That's rough business for you. But yeah, you have the inner circle as a result of the order of this running shit for a bit. And that brings me to my second problem with this thing. So you got these teams of five coming out. And in almost every team of five was a stable in there of the people who needed to be together. How shitty is that for everybody else? How the hell am I supposed to believe that even happened? Like, are you kidding? Like, look at it for a moment here when we got the sets of guys that come out, right? In the second set of five, you have Santana and Ortiz who came out. 
So a tag team came out together, essentially, in this battle royale, already ready to kick ass, you know? And then when you get a Jake Hager, who was already part of the first five, now you have basically the inner circles in the ring before the match even starts. Because Santana Ortiz and Jake Hager, for the first half, they're, they're pretty much running shit in there. Daniels gets eliminated pretty quickly early on by Jake Hager. You know, then we get the next wave of guys before you could even take in all the eliminations and shit that's going on. And it's Billy Gunn, Pentagon. So the only two guys they kept apart, Phoenix, because he was in the beginning, and Pentagon's in the end. You got Ricky Starks, Brian Cage, you know, Billy Gunn's entire five don't even come out before he's eliminated. It was like Billy Gunn, Pentagon, Ricky Starks, Brian Cage, Billy Gunn gets eliminated, and Darby Allen. Like, literally. He, his five didn't make it before they had Billy Gunn done. So rest in peace. And I guess Sean Spears, who was biting his time at the announce table, I was I really wanted him to win so that they would have been able to do something creative with it. But uh, no, they didn't have any plans of doing anything like that. Their, their big draw here was Lance Archer and Brian Cage meeting face to face like they had this whole exchange blows thing it's like the first time king kong sees on godzilla type shit was what they were going for here like they really wanted you guys to feel the intensity of these two they wanted to create that hulk hogan ultimate warrior nose to nose moment you know that's what they were going for. let me look at it here see we got it right here so you guys can see these two guys yeah you see them there's that moment here. And this is what I want to see. I think the fans yeah, do too. Everybody sees two big guys. Stay focused, Cage. Stay- see, and then it comes to blows there. Archer, Lance Hoyt, he's so big. Big dude. If I had to cheer for one of these guys, I would take, uh, I guess I would take Archer over. Ah, uh, uh, look at those weak kicks, though. You see, that's one thing about this guy. The uh, Ryan Cage, a lot of his shit, he doesn't lay it in well, as far as I'm concerned. It's subjective, but in my opinion. If I had to take one, I would take the Archer guy just because at least you also get Jake the Snake with it. And he's a better worker and a bigger guy. So, yeah, that's pretty much, like I said, this whole entire thing was uh was just kind of weird. So what did we get after that? We had, uh oh, and also I wanted to note to you guys when, when Sean Spears came out, I did like him going over to the announce table and telling them we have legends, Hall of Famers, and Excalibur. Like, that is rough. Uh but you had Eddie Kingston also out there, Sonny Kiss, Lance Archer, uh, Hager eliminating Sonny Kiss, and then immediately Cage eliminating him. Uh, but one of the things that they had here was a surprise, was a new debut. An old face with a new debut. You had Matt Seidel. Remember him? Evan Bourne in WWE. Air Boom. Everybody remembers Air Boom. Whenever, whenever great tag teams have come up on the WWE Network for the past, what, five, six years that has been around, the first thing that we've thought about is the history of Air Boom. Remember them? Evan Bourne and Kofi Kingston, was it? <laughs> no, that's not exactly. But anyway, you had Matt Seidel here. Great to see him again. Glad to see him doing well. Wonderful to have such a daredeviling high flyer on our side problem here was that his debut did not go well and uh, i'm gonna show you guys on here and then we can talk a little bit about what the hell happened so here it is up there there is matt Sydal. he just came in the ring they're putting him over matt Sydal. oh good lord so for anybody just on the audio on the itunes version what essentially we have here is matt Sydal standing on the top turnbuckle 
he slips when he's going for his shooting star and he just busts his ass. The first thing that he ever did in AEW was that. I gave a moment there for Matt Seidel's AEW debut. Moment of silence. (laughs) Alright. That sucks, man. What can I say? I'm going to share it on our chat room and later probably on social media for you guys. So, yeah, that was rough. Glad he's not hurt. He doesn't look hurt, at least. Probably just his ego. Anyway. Also, Jake comes out. And he has, like, the snake, and he puts it, like, towards the corner of the ring. You know where he usually puts the snake? Like, under the turnbuckle by that part? And, and I know it's funny, but I, in, in a way, I was thinking right at that moment where <laughs> freaking Seidel fell. Good thing Jake didn't already put his snakes there. You know? This would have been like that time that Damien got killed by Earthquake. Remember that? That was a big angle. He dropped his big ass on the, on the, the sack, and then they had, like, blood out of the sack, and kids were crying and shit. And, uh... I don't remember if kids were crying. I think they were. They kept going back and showing the video of him being murdered. Then he brought his brother, Lucifer, the other snake. I think he was going to need another brother. And it was going to be thanks to uh, Matt Seidel landing back first on a snake. Even though I don't think there was really snakes. And I think that was a worked bag. It wasn't a shoot sack with a snake. Why wouldn't they have not shown it, right? Oh, boy. So, uh, you had that storyline still going on with uh, Ricky Starks and uh, Brian Cage with uh, Darby Allen, and they wind up getting a body bag, and in that body bag, there are thumbtacks, and then they stuff Darby's body in it with the thumbtacks, and then Brian Cage just kind of tosses him over the top of the ropes and, and with the tacks in there. And not for nothing, but the throw looked like shit. Like, it's too dangerous. You can't really feel where your opponent's body is, nor do they have control. I'm getting a little annoyed at just the shock spots all the time like i can tell the difference between like a well thought out sequence and a shock spot like someone explained to me how the hell that's safe like there's literally no way for the person that's giving you the bump to be able to properly handle you and there's no way for you to be able to uh protect yourself if you're in a sack filled with thumbtacks tied you know i didn't like that um a little bit too much shock shock spot I don't know if that's a thing, but if it isn't, I just came up with it here. Shock spots. <laughs> it would be weird if no one's ever said that before. But, uh, yeah, the way he tossed him to me was worse than the tax. And I looked at it. Uh, Lance Archer also eliminates Hobbs and, and Cage when they're on the outside fighting. I love that they try to give us Hobbs fighting Brian Cage. You know that spot that they give you during Battle Royale where, like, two people who really matter are on the other side of the ropes fighting right at the ledge, blow for blow, kick for kick, and they're slowly losing battle? They gave that shit. <laughs> for some reason, they did that with Brian Cage and Hobbs. And then Lance Archer just says, fucking, he hits the ropes and knocks them both down. But it's just weird that that'd be Hobbs there again. I know somebody's gonna tell me, fucking, oh, Hobbs, you don't remember Hobbs from blah, 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 and, and VWX and everything else. Look, I don't watch as much indie as back when I was younger, and nor do I really care to. I feel like everything's indie. But I don't know fucking Hobbs for him to be this involved in the match. Anyway, final five, Eddie Kingston, Archer, Butcher, and Seidel. Well, final, final four, rather. Because the reason I say this is because, as you know, at least in other wrestling companies, whenever you have this kind of a match, the final four people, that's usually like a rub. These are the people that you have stock in is what you're kind of telling the community. But uh, Eddie Kingston, it intrigues me. Okay, Eddie Kingston, they really like him out there. Obviously, Lance Archer, Butcher, 
and Matt Seidel, because I guess they didn't, you know, which is even rougher now. That's See, that's a rough final four, guys. You know what I mean? When you really think about Royal Rumbles and they put those last four, because there's always that thing. That's such a thing that it happens in the games. That moment where the fifth guy gets thrown over the ropes and now all four guys are on opposite corners and the camera kind of pans to them. And there's the moment of the crowd popping at the final four horse staring each other down. If you're playing a current wrestling game and you throw the fifth guy out, there your gameplay will stop for that little cutscene of those four men looking at because that's how important the four the four last guys. This is it. This is the thing that you've been waiting. And it was and, I, and again, I'm not trying to disrespect people here, but uh, when I really look at it, it's the, it's just like all right, Eddie Kingston, Lance Archer, who again I'm 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 split on Butcher though, fucking Butcher. And Matt Seidel, who just bumped wrong. Ah, <laughs> oh, boy. And yeah, Eddie Kingston gets thrown down by by Archer. Um, it was it was it was all strange, man. Again, this wasn't really my cup of tea. It was interesting to analyze and look at the different people and where they were and what they were doing. But if you went into this with pure entertainment purposes, where it was like you're gonna sit here and you're just gonna watch this and enjoy the, the great stuff, you may not get as much. That doesn't mean there weren't some cool things there, and I do give kudos, and I always say that one of the important things to do in a Royal Rumble or, or a Battle Royal, more more specifically a Royal Rumble, though, to be honest, is, uh, and I like when they do it right, a proper Royal Rumble manages to have many little mini-matches within this one big match. A lot of different angles that have happened throughout Raw and SmackDown, just to use them as an example, are now culminating in this Royal Rumble. So, let's just say you still had the Iconics and, uh, and freaking uh, the, the Riot Squad. You would somehow, within that Royal Rumble, if it's a girls' Royal Rumble, make these four get in the ring, where somehow either people are hiding on the outside or they're the only ones there, and now they can have a tag match. They can do the sequences they would have done if this would have been their three- or four-minute tag match on television with a few variations that segue into more people coming. That's the key element to making a good Rumble, that it's not just guys coming in and punching each other's backs. You're thinking of how this person's going to mix into this person, and now this is a triple threat match for the next two and a half minutes. Let's book a triple threat match. The next person comes in, this is a fatal four-way. Now for the next four minutes, we're booking this like a fatal four-way. That guy gets eliminated, let's go back to booking this like a triple threat match. This guy comes in, it's back to a fatal four-way. It's a five-way now. You see what I mean? That's the psychology of booking a big battle royal match. It's not that you're trying to book a cluster which is what a lot of them become because really unfortunately uh when it comes to battle royals instead of royal rumbles they don't really give the guys enough time for that which is why you do see a lot of back punching and, and belly rubbing and shit like that because they don't have they no one got to put anything together but the royal rumbles more throw it out so if you notice when you have time to put something like that together that's literally the way that they and i don't know this for sure this is this is just based on i guess uh uh cumulative logic but you have to sort of you would think you're, you're booking many matches you know that's the only way. And you can tell if you really watch a Royal Rumble and you keep that in mind, a good one, because again, there are some bad ones. You'll see that when certain people get in the ring, now it's time for them. You have these two guys who have a history. This is a one-on-one between them until the next set of guys come in. One guy cleared the ring, reset. Now that guy's standing there. And, you know, It's like, that's the whole trick. You're booking it almost like you would a play. The way a play has an act one, an act two, and an act three. The problem is that sometimes, again, the five guys coming in for three minutes and then five more guys coming in for three minutes, it, it just seems a little bit too weird. Uh, with the way that this was happening. If you're going to have five guys come in, which I think that's a mistake right there in itself, you can't just have three minutes. Most of the intros are going to take more than three minutes. You can't be like, look who's coming down, look who got eliminated while this guy's coming down the ramp, because that's what it really felt like. You know, squeezing a little bit too much in. If you disagree with me, feel free to comment, because uh, whatever, I don't know. Just my opinion, maybe it's something I need to adjust to, but I wasn't feeling it.
After the match, Santana and Ortiz were pissed, apparently. At least that's what I see here. Let's find out what the hell this is. They got heart? Huh? Ortiz, Santana. Come on, for real right now? Hey, first hey, of all, hey. first of all, the next hey, person hey. to ever touch us when they're breaking up a fight is going to feel this heat. I swear to you. I swear on every living family member that I have, y'all going to feel it. But best friends, best friends, like we said, we like that heart. We like that fight. Just make sure you bring it every single time because you already know what's coming. You need to be the good mama's boys that you are and stay your ass at home. We were ready to put this all behind us. We were ready to let everything go. We beat you. That's it. Now you want to come at us like men? We'll show you men. We'll show you the men that we saw every day growing up in New York City. You want to see that? You got it, best friends. Out of my face. Damn. Rough, so the feud continues. This wasn't gonna be, which is a shame because honestly, I always kind of feel, and I know this isn't traditional, and I hate having to compare, but back when we did have wrestling companies that would only have four pay per views, usually you would use those four to like end feuds, have the big blow off match, or somehow change it to something else. So, as much as I'm enjoying the best friend Santana Ortiz stuff, it's a little kind of disappointing that at something as big as All Out. It's kind of ends with, all right, we're still going to get your best friends. Like, there wasn't any blow off to it or nothing was really accomplished. It's just the shit's going to continue with them. But I guess you can't have something like that for every match, you know. Next, we had the Broken Rules match. Matt Hardy versus Sammy Guevara with 57% of you feeling Matt Hardy's going to go over 43% of you feeling that Sammy Guevara is going to. Uh well, 57% of you were wrong, 43% of you were correct with Sammy, Sammy Guevara. Well, actually, 57% of you were correct and 43% of you were wrong with Sammy Guevara falling to his doom um, in a really lazy match. But there were a couple of reasons for this. I don't want to go, I don't want to give judge it too hard as the information was still coming in. Um, but Sammy starts this trying to run Matt down with a golf cart, which, uh, yeah. I thought that was pretty interesting. It's sort of a callback to the uh, to to the old thing that happened where Sammy got run over by a golf cart. So I guess that's going to be something that's always within his identity. Uh, but here, listen, I know we're already all talking about it, but the they both take this crazy spot where they fall through a table and the back of Matt's head hits hard. For anyone that didn't see this, this is like a really bad bump. I'm going to bring this up on the screen for you guys here. Just so you have an idea what happened. So that's the bump right there. See that bump? He hits the back of his head pretty badly here. So uh it was a it was apparently this was a shoot bump where he really did hit the back of his head and the match really was stopped and they really weren't sure what was gonna happen here. We're gonna go into more detail with that, but before we do for anybody that didn't watch the Matt Hardy match was then continued. Doc Sampson here, obviously. Uh, look at this. Matt Hardy Hart still is stalking towards the ring. Winner. What is oh, that? my God. They're still fighting. They're still going. Well, the Paris match is continuing, obviously. Oh, oh, DDT on the concrete. How in the hell, how in the hell did Matt even make it to his way to this area of the, of the ring? I mean, he's known as. 
So uh, yeah, Matt was actually disoriented and hurt. They had all they had Aubrey do the the cross and everything. And I, I guess this was I, from at least from what I'm seeing, this seems to have been legit here. And uh, even Rebby, which we knew that was coming, tweeted out. And she was like, "Let me be absolutely fucking clear. There's nothing entertaining about a concussion. Shame on everyone in that goddamn building." Because she was pissed that the match was still continued, which uh. They apparently said they did concussion testing and he was fine. But someone tell me when, like in the little bit of time where, 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 uh, where they were separated, there was almost no time for concussion testing. Like, you got to be kidding me on that one. And uh, Rebby also shared her uh, a screenshot because apparently she was texting Matt during this. Oh, I guess if she shared, it's OK for us to check it out. Right. So, yeah, this must be her phone throughout that day. And it starts off with, love you. I got to hit the football field in just a minute to start our match. Hope you enjoy. That's Matt to her. And then she goes, I love you. Then she goes, don't be dumb. Then she goes, what the fuck? You practically cleared that table. Then she goes, what the fuck? Matt, what the goddamn fucking fuck? Yeah, so you can see that she watches AEW. For any doubters out there. Also text during it. Must be a more exciting show for her than the average fan, huh? Ugh. So yeah, she was losing it. And he was disoriented and hurt. He was visibly hurt here. Um, then they did continue the match. And uh, the finish to this match was uh, basically Matt and Sammy are on top of this. Uh, I don't know what the hell you would call those things in the building. Like not the scaffolding, but you know, like the, the, the construction area where you can climb up like the Shane spot area, more or less. Like they're up there. But it was just such a weak finish because it was like, it just looked like it was just lazy. I think we might even have it here. Let me take a quick look. And I could just show you guys what I'm talking about. Guevara. Yeah, so look at this. I mean, this is, this is dangerous. Yes, exactly. Yeah, right now they're, they're 15 feet in the air, maybe. The cameraman just took so a ball. Up. But see, look, there was hardly any bumping here for that. You see what I mean? Like, let's go back for a minute there. Like, they're climbing. They're climbing, they're climbing. There wasn't really like there was much fighting up until this point, you know? So it's like they're climbing. Matt Hardy literally hit the back of his head and had to be cleared, came back. And you're telling me that a couple of punches from him and Guevara's out, he felt... <laughs> there was like hardly any struggle to it. It just felt like a rushed finish. Maybe it was because of what was already happening. I don't know. But damn, was that a rushed finish, you know? Like just the way he fell there and everything, it just seemed lazy. Now again, maybe it could just be me, but... I think they could have done something else there. It could have just been the way that the match was already gone. Maybe Guevara decided he wanted to go home early because he just didn't feel Matt was okay. I have no idea what the hell's going on there, but that couldn't have been worse. Whatever they were going for, what they got wasn't worth the risk that they took. And you know what? I don't think that spot should have been cleared either. Like, why was there a spot clear to be able to take that bump? You know how hard it would be to clear to, to not hit that chair you know what i mean like it was easy to clear that table and hit the back of your head like and why is matt hardy always getting cleared for these shitty spots you know what i mean like this this matt hardy sammy guevara feud always has these weird shitty spots that are that should not be cleared like what was the necessity of that bump being out there by the fucking concrete we've seen high table bumps before you know i just like i said i just didn't think that that was something that was worth doing at all and apparently after that he was taken to the hospital too so hopefully he's okay but that should have been the first thing that they did but there's again this goes back to shock spots you know it's always shock spots with this kind of stuff which just get on my nerves 
And now I hate the fact that, um, cause I was asked in the chat room, well, you know, like, why do I think it's stupid? And I said, you know, a bell ringing is as, as final as it gets in wrestling. Ding, ding. That match is over. That goes for most sports, but the bell, ding, ding, match is over. It's such an important rule that it was literally the core element of the Montreal screw job. As long as we ring the bell, that's it for Brett. Think about that. In a, in a, in a work sport, this isn't even, they use the shoot rule almost in a, in a work sport or, or a shoot rule in a work in, in a work sport you know so the match is over ding ding matt hardy loses but now they claim that it was restarted by a professional because a professional doctor cleared a guy that we saw visibly disoriented stumbling around after taking a head bump that fast that's weird weird business and 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 for what just to do that ugly finish with sammy where you climb on top of something and fall on top of something that's lazy I don't think that it should have been done. Again, a lot of this match could have been affected by the by what was happening, you know. But I I question it, man. I really do. Some of it just felt lazy as hell. And uh, yeah, I think we could have done without that that last little ending part where where Sammy gives us that needless fucking fall, you know, this needlessly padded fall. This fall that he took was more safe than the fall that Matt took. Look at how padded that shit is. Ever seen that video that went viral of that kid falling through the jungle gym? That shit looked more dangerous than this. You know, like, come on. You gonna top that? Unbelievable. Anyways, stop with the unnecessary risk in this company, man. We don't need that shit, you know? That sort of was giving them that bad stigma. It's always somebody bleeding or bumping rough. It is sort of becoming like ECW, where you got that one half of the company that's technical wrestling and high-paced action, and that other half of the company that want to destroy each other. You know, and some people will tell you different things. If you think about it, that was the legacy of ECW. Everyone would tell you a different thing. If you talk to some fans, they would tell you that it was about the barbed wire and the and the flaming barbed wire, especially and the and the crazy matches and going through tables and being able to say fuck. That was their ECW. Then, if you asked other ECW fans, they would say that it was Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero and the crazy matches that they put on and Tajiri and Jerry Lynn and the technical shit that would happen in the ring and the luchadors being there, you know, and psychosis and all that, you know. So it was two different worlds, but it collided into strange cards that's sort of where AEW is starting to remind me of more than anything it has the presentation of a nitro but it sort of has the uh the psychology of a of an ecw where you got half of it half the time they're having these really elegant really well thought out high pace uh no pause uh action matches and then the other half is like get the gasoline and the bows and arrows you know so i don't know what the fuck's going on here very weird very strange company uh and don't put your veterans at risk what's he doing taking a bump like that Anyway, anyway, so next we have the AEW Women's World Title Match. Hikaru Shida defending her title against Thunder Rosa with 56% of you feeling that Shida would go over. I'm surprised that as many as 44% of you thought Thunder Rosa, considering that this is an interpromotional match. You know, like she's going to take the belt and leave and go back to her company and throw it in the garbage. Imagine that, nah. But you know, I just I thought just because of the it was just for the sake of the interpromotion. That being said, the the match that she was in on Wednesday was probably the better of the women's matches that we've had uh, simply because it's somebody who's not from AEW, I hate to say it. And uh, Shida goes over with her Tamashi, which is the, that running slide knee that she does. Um, listen, some of this was still a bit sloppy. You know, uh, that Falcon Arrow reversal into that weird cradle thing that went down there. I don't know what happened. Um, sometimes it just seemed a little bit rough. You know, I did love Thunder Rosa's Death Valley driver on the apron. That looked really solid. Um, Sheeta hits a nasty meteora off the top rope. Um, 
you know, that Renara move that Thunder Rose uses, that spinning Renara, really solid stuff. Uh, the stretch muffler that Sheeta tried to apply a few times, finally eventually hitting it successfully. Um, Sheeta hitting that press slam into the backbreaker was really solid. But the match really just, you know, these are spots, but the match really like lacked the pacing and intensity. It started weak. It ended better, if I had to say something about it. Like, I would give it that. It started weak. It ended better. But it just kind of didn't really feel like it ever picked up the kind of momentum that people were were uh, expecting and that could be the fans fault because you know this was something that was built up you know what i mean like there was a lot of hype behind behind these girls you know but at the end of the day i think that uh there were certain things about it that were solid and uh the aggression was there and it certainly is better than if they've used any of the green talent that they've had for a while um, Hikaru Shida is probably one of the better people that they have there. I've seen all of the girls, even the ones that I think have potential, like Penelope Ford recently botching. So I think what they really did need to start doing is focusing on some inner promotional stuff. Get some girls in there that know what they're doing, that have been there for a while. Because uh, that's one thing you can definitely say, Thunder Rosa, you can see that this is someone who's experienced. And that's something that they damn sure needed. So, uh, Hopefully this isn't like a one-off thing and they can keep like some sort of a working relationship like that. If not even with the guys, at least just with the girls. Because uh, it's something that you're able to do and it's something you're able to work at. And, uh, you know, it's solid. That's what I would want. But uh, as far as the women's division goes, for a while, they just need to stop having tournaments and focusing on they should not have a website called Heels yet. They just they have a few girls. You know what I mean? Like they have a few girls. Just chill. You know, SMJRs. Karashita, she did look good out there. Just bringing up some stuff so we could look at a little bit of the footage here. And uh, yeah, like I said, these girls both worked really hard for this, and uh, I hope they understand. As much as it sucks to say, the pressure that that they have to deal with being in this division. You know, well, one of them does at least. The other one, the other one has nothing to worry about because she's just kind of visiting. You know. Uh, yeah, if you're if you're looking for something different, this definitely had a different flavor from what we're normally getting. As far as where they go from here, I don't know, because that's the problem. Now you just had Hikaroshida face against Thunder Rosa, an actual legitimate wrestling champion there, and you don't really have many of those left on your roster. Like, you don't have anyone who you can use or uh, or show, or showcase, rather. Like, I don't know who they're going to bring in there, because the people that they already have, they're okay, but that's it, just okay. What are we going to do, Big Swall versus Hikaru Shida? Like, who's the first talent that comes to your mind? I guess Britt Baker would have to be the one, you know, which ends Britt Baker's feud with Big Swall, you know, which is okay, could, could be interesting. If you were to use, uh, if you somehow eventually put Reba in there, where Reba comes, eventually she's going to turn on Baker, obviously, and be a wrestler, you know, so if you can have a feud between Hikaru Shida and Britt Baker, and then eventually maybe Baker wins, because honestly, I think she'd be a better personality for the championship, and then she can feud with her old uh, underling, Reba, who we know actually can wrestle. They can make her stop acting like that, and then we have like some sort of a match. And even then, I'm just working with what I got here. I know that's not what you guys are thinking the future of AEW was going to be Britt Baker versus Reba, but I'm just saying in order to retcon things and fix a few things around the neighborhood here, you know, nail in a few loose boards, that's where I would begin. Anyway, so after this, we had the eight man tag team match, Colt Cabana and the Dark Order, his Dark Order buddies, Evil Uno, Grayson and Mr. Brody Lee against the Natural Nightmare stable, which includes Dustin Rhodes, QT Marshall, as well as Scorpio Sky and Matt Cardona and Ali, like everybody, just all everybody, everybody who's their friends. <laughs> so um, anyway, 100 percent of you. 
100% of you thought that Cole Cabana, Evil One, or Grayson, Mr. Brody Lee, the Dark Order as you know them, would be going over. No one thought the Natural Nightmares with, with fucking Zack Ryder, Matt Cardona, and Scorpio Sky would be going over. But guess what? Cabana goes for a moonsault. So this is what happened, basically. Brody Lee does most of the heavy lifting here. Uh, he takes out Dustin. And Cabana goes for a moonsault instead of going for the cover. So that moment gives Dustin the, the opportunity to get up and he winds up rolling up Cabana. So when Brody Lee turns around, he looks in the ring like, what the hell? You know, and he's furious and screams at Cabana. And uh, then the other Dark Order guy helps him up afterwards. So I guess that was just tough love. That's the way it works in cults, you know? What can you say? Well, uh, it's just weird. For me, the only thing that's out of place is Cole Cabana. Like, Cole Cabana has no business in the storyline to be the guy that the Dark Order is going to recruit. It would be weird that Cole Cabana, knowing his personality, would want to be in the Dark Order. And it would be, be weird knowing the Dark Order that they would want Cole Cabana. Nobody else has thought that's weird. Like, isn't that such a strange, out-of-place storyline? Cult, join us. And Cole Cabana being conflicted. Like, gee, I don't know. Like, he looks like a scared, nervous boy out there all the time. Gee, I don't know. Should I, Mr. Brody? What the fuck? You're Cole Cabana. You know? Like, what's happening here? This isn't working for me. It was just it was just really strange. They uh they let Anna J be out there, you know, to say the least. They didn't really do anything. The only reason that Anna J was out there was I guess apparently to give Brandy something to do. Scorpio. But you yeah, you saw Dustin's instincts kick in right there. He saved her his team's ass right there, I'll tell you that right now. He ate the yeah, kick back. Oh, look at into the ring here. Anna J, number ninety nine. He goes to mess with Scorpio. She might be number nine on your program, but she's number one. Here comes Brandy with a pump kick. (laughs) Brandy! What about that pump kick? Wow, kudos to Anna Jay for being brave enough to let Brandy hit her with a pump kick. You know? Oh, yeah, and also Brandy, good job at not killing anybody. Good stuff. All wonderful things happening here in this company. But it's just weird. And maybe it's just me, but the comedic element within this company uh, worries me. And I mean, think about it. You have Zack Ryder as one of the people on the other side of this feud against a cult and cult cabana. No pun intended. He's going to have to change the name to cult cabana, right? Just change the old to a U. How could he not join, right? (laughs) He could be cult cabana. Get it? Waka, waka, waka. (laughs) Unbelievable. But think about it. You got these two comedy characters that are involved in a fucking cult feud. And I don't mean a cult cabana feud. <laughs> See, it's hard. It's going to be hard to ever, ever escape from that now. You know, unbelievable, though. But yeah, we got, we got of all people. Couldn't they have used anybody else? Look at this. I want you guys to take a look at this here. Just, just to put things into perspective. Look at, some of the, look at some of the fighting that's happening in this feud. If you take away the storyline that you know, Zack Ryder's fighting Cole Cabana right now. You see it? I see it. That's Zack Ryder and Cole Cabana in the ring. That's all that is. Why does it got to be a cult? We already have one. Uh, again, like I said, maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just me. Stu Grayson is so relevant that JR calls him Dick Grayson. And then Trevani follows it up with a Jason Todd joke. So congratulations for both coming up with things to talk about more interesting than Stu Grayson. That's commentary talent right there. As far as the match goes, it did what it was intended to do. And I hate to once again have to go back to things with Brandy. But if you go back and look at this match, Brandy doesn't even stand at the top of the ramp as good as her peers do. It's just something about the way she carries herself that's just strange and awkward. Like, so they're all standing at the top of the ramp, right? 
and like they're doing like the the the, the stable pose you know and Allie gets it you know she's just standing she does like like her little even though she's no longer that bunny character she kind of kept the head tilt so she kind of does a little head tilt she kind of sits there the pose brandy kind of does what vanna white would do if she was unveiling a fucking vowel like brandy's up there like <laughs> like i don't know why it's just like brandy why what are you doing up there like i don't i don't get it brandy always just has to do something right unbelievable with brandy so kip sabian has an interview where he uh where he plugs twitch because we're going to talk about it on the monday show but there was an issue with uh with twitch not being allowed wwe superstars allegedly not being allowed to stream on twitch anymore per vince mcmahon's order and of course, yes, we're going to get into how shitty that is. But apparently, I want you guys to take a look at this. Oh, and before I forget, W. This message has been approved by All Elite Wrestling. He's holding up a sign that says Twitch TV, the Kip Saban. Join the super bad sub squad today. <laughs> that is fantastic because, yeah, we'll get into it more tomorrow. My opinion on WWE superstars being restricted from being part of Twitch and other platforms, what that might mean. That is not. A conversation for tonight we're here just for the AEW and anything that might segue into it only anyone who's interested in that full interview it will be in the comment section on the facebook version of this video and probably on our other social media when i get around to it but uh yeah it's going there and it's in our chat room as of now so got several places where you can check that out okay so after this we had the AEW world tag title match between adam page and kenny omega defending their titles against the ftrs cash wheeler and dax hardwood being accompanied by tully blanchard their manager of course that brings us to our voting results for this being ftr 78 percent of you adam page and kenny omega 11 percent of you you had no faith in the team guess what justifiably so because ftr goes over hangman with that spiked pile driver so and then afterwards, it was sort of teased that Kenny almost wanted to turn on Paige, which the interesting thing about this was uh, Kenny being the one who's mad when a lot of the mistakes in the match were uh, were his fault. Well, not really a lot of the mistakes, but the mistakes that caused him to uh, to, to hurt Hangman, you know? What essentially happens is they're all hitting the ropes. It's one of those sequences where multiple guys are hitting the ropes and there's a buckshot lariat attempt while Omega is holding hardwood. And I'm automatically everyone's thinking that hardwood's going to duck. Page is going to buckshot lariat Omega. Game over. But Omega, I guess anticipating hardwood ducking, ducks with him. So the buckshot lariat goes over both. So then the sequence is reversed. And now Hangman is holding hardwood. And Omega hits the, the, the ropes to come forward with essentially the v-trigger except this time um hardwood ducks and it winds up hitting freaking adam page so it was his fault it was a mistake but nonetheless the fact that that happened was something that turned the tide on the match and uh that's quite unfortunate that it went down that way you know so uh it seems like there's trouble amongst their ranks now and yeah poor adam you're right stasis poor adam because uh He's just being, well, he's, we still don't know why he screwed over the Bucks, though. So, it's poor Adam, but poor Adam to a limit, you know. So, this is the, uh, this is the falling out here, guys. One mistake can do you in. What, 
the hell is Kenny doing here? Omega's got one of the, the ringside tables. It looked like they teased the turn here, like he was going to... Kenny has been known to have Adam moments. Yeah, look, well, can you talk yourself out of this you know moment? I mean? Like he looked like he was tempted to do something bad here. There you go. Yeah. Ooh, thank it. you, Kenny. Yeah. And I get it. I mean, I, I understand frustration. But anger. then he goes back to sort of a heel thing because he, he doesn't understand. help Adam Page. He listen. lets his body fall there. The kid, just lets him fucking slump over all in the middle of the ring. Just looks off. down at him defiantly. You just, so, just walk it off, man. But Omega didn't catch him. No. Well, you're on your own. That sucks too. So you wonder now, ladies and gentlemen, what's the uh, what is it? Quarter worth of beer, Mister? Mm. Uh, you wonder now what's the future of this team? Man. <laughs> I mean, you can't come. You got to be together in this tag team division in this company. A, a title reign of 228 days comes to an end. That's impressive as hell. Yes, it is. And Omega walking out on on Hangman Page, and perhaps yeah, this is the right. end. We never know. That pretty much went bad for them, as you can see there. He let him collapse, and then and then afterwards, there's more. Like he kind of takes the box sort of out of the building with him, and he says, "I'm done," and he leaves the the building. But then at the parking lot, the bucks sort of stop and they decide not to go with him, uh, which is again, it's just weird. It was weird that this was the direction that they went went in with everything. Um, we still don't know exactly how this is going to unfold. For me personally, even though there's interesting elements to it and it's unpredictable, one of my problems is that there's too much soap drama with the elite guys. Like every time I see the elite guys, they're in straight up soap drama, you know, and it's like, remember back when they were cool? It was just that these guys are really cool. They're really laid back and they're really cool. Everybody wants to be as laid back and cool as these guys, which is sort of what got them over. Now it's just a whole bunch of soap drama. Now this is fucking Degrassi. I've never even watched Degrassi, but I'm assuming it's a drama. So yeah, too much drama with that. Early on, Kenny nearly spikes his head with one, with, with one of those Hurricane Ranas. Um, gotta be careful, you're a big man to be doing them Hurricane Ranas, boy. But uh, overall, like I said, they, they, they look good as a team. I never really immediately bought into Kenny Omega and Adam Page. But uh, the teamwork between them and like the sequences that they're able to do and the things that happen between them are like completely undeniable. Like they look solid in the ring. They work well together, you know, um, you know, there are cool spots. Um, the story of this match is FTR essentially neutralizing Kenny's legs. They want to keep him from having the mobility and the power that he generally has in a match like this. So they use dragon screws. They use reverse figure fours. They wind up at one point when he slides, banging him his leg into the barricade. So he winds up losing his useful, most useful asset during this, which is speed and power. You know, and uh, there were more miscommunications than just the Omega page one at that point that I told you guys about. I don't want you to think that it was just that. Like, as you can see, even there, what we got on our Tron there, the two of them were having a bit of an issue and arguing with one another. But um, there was at one point where, like, Dax pushed Kenny into his own corner when he was going for the tag. And he inadvertently winds up making him smack into Adam Page. And the two of them sort of bump heads, causing Adam to fall off the corner. He's not there for the tag. That was another miscommunication. So it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows up until that V-trigger. There were other problems going on here. Um, you know, but like I said, they've been building the blocks to this for a really long time as far as that goes. Uh, as always with Hangman, cool, cool freaking uh, flying spot that he did there. Let me see. Is this hit here? We got it for you guys. Yeah. This, this spot right here where he goes up. I thought that this was a really solid uh, little sequence that he did. He goes up to the top and then he dives. Does a crowd dive essentially. You've seen these before. Does it in everyone over here and pow! Good looking bump there. 
And uh, yeah, good stuff. Very solid as far as them go. Um, I'm trying to think if there were any other spots or anything that uh, were good aside from the drama within the match. We had the uh, that Steiner S double team bulldog on the outside. The FTR hits Kenny. They hit like a smaller one in the ring on Page. Essentially, you guys know what I'm talking about. That Avalanche bulldog spot uh, looked really good. Uh, the spot where Hangman does where uh, he moonsaults while holding someone off the top rope, essentially slamming them. I thought looked really good. So, uh, you know, again, they got their shit in during this match. They did lose the titles, though. So now it's interesting to see the fact that FTR so early on in their AEW careers have these titles. And uh, I'm not saying that I'm disappointed. I think that they're deserving uh, just because we already know them. Uh, But that's the thing that's strange about other companies that are not the E, where it's like most most places you go, uh, they'll judge you based on your experience and history. And even if it doesn't seem to people who don't watch other products like you belong there, they know based on their experience, everyone else that you do. Whereas in the E, it's more like, nope, nothing else that you mattered, that you did matter. Fuck all anywhere else. So you're here now, noob. You know, so they're treating the FTR like veterans because essentially they realize that they are. Excuse me, FTR. Holly. There we go. New AEW World Tag Team Champions. Yes, yes. I tell you what, Jeff. You don't have to win all 30 minutes to be the champions, but you win the last minute and a half, one, two, three, and you walk out with the prize. And these guys right here dug deep. They dug deeper than anybody, and they walked out the best in the world. Absolutely. And the thing is, is we did it in 130-degree heat. We did it in 130 degree heat, and that's that's the uh, that's the least amount of heat we're gonna get. Because here's the thing: is is the match weren't pretty. We never described decided it was gonna be pretty. We ain't pretty. None of us are pretty. We told you we might be a little. No, we might no, be no, a little no. bit pretty. We did it our own way. We did it the ugly way, and we won. And we are your AEW World Tag Team Champions. Fear the revelation. We told you. We told you from the second. We stepped foot in AEW, what our goal was. We talked the talk, we walked the walk, we back up everything we've ever said we were going to do. We talk a big game, but we wrestle a bigger one. That's I'm seeing exactly spots right. right now. I'm seeing 101 down makes everywhere I look. I can't see. My, eye, my vision's blurry. My eyes are crossed. But at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, the dust has settled, and you are looking at the brand new AEW World. World. Tag Tag team team champion. Champion. Hey, let's go get a cameo. You want to? Let's go uh, get a cameo. I'm going to go get a Nintendo 64. Uh, cameo is the other thing oh, that, that freaking uh, WWE people are banned from going on. That's why they did that. That's messed up. Everybody's just jabbing at this WWE rule that we're going to be talking about Monday, 11.30 p.m. after all. Cheap plug right there. See that? I know where to get them in. Mimosa Mayhem match is next on our card here with Chris Jericho going against Orange Cassidy with 80% of you feeling that Orange Cassidy is going to take this one, 20% of you feeling that it is going to be Le Champion. Well, 80% of you were correct because the finish was Cassidy Superman punching Jericho into one of the tubs of Mimosa. Um, I love that the match starts with a flash code breaker. I got to say that that was an interesting way, even though they would have there would have been nothing but angry fanboys everywhere if they would have even dreamt of doing something like what they were thinking of doing or what they teased that they were going to be able to do there. So I did like that about it. Uh, so Jericho uh, 
as far as hard bumps go, he winds up breaking a cocktail tray over Cassidy's head. Um, the match was your average match, but what was interesting was why are there covers in a Mimosa Mayhem match? You got Mimosa on the left and the right. The whole point of this is to get into the Mimosa. But they're going for covers and shit in the middle of the ring that Aubrey's counting. And then on top of that, there's no rope break, though. So you can cover somebody without throwing them in the Mimosa. But if you went to submit them, could you submit them? Because there's no rope break. Knowing that and being Jericho, why not just apply the walls of Jericho immediately? Fuck it. Nothing that he does could ever get him out of there. There's no rope break. How do you get out of that move? See what I mean? Like, there's like almost a loophole in the rules. Because if you're going to have a mimosa match, just make it where you have to fall into the fucking mimosa. Case closed. No covers. How hard is that? You know, but up. There's these two tubs of mimosa on the left and right side of the ring. And they're wrestling for covers and shit in the middle. And there's close counts and stuff. Just weird. I just thought that was an unusual choice there. Especially when you went through all that trouble of putting all that tang out there. Unbelievable. But still, they did good for what they did with the match. Um, you know, they look solid. Good exchanges. It's funny how something that started originally, like, as a joke between these two guys has grown into, like, a full-blown blood feud that's had, like, crazy pl- promos and become, like, just something, I guess, for a while. I did like the selling of Almost Falling. There were times that you would almost feel like maybe one of these dudes is actually going to, if not both of them, how much of a disaster would it be if both of them fall into the mimosa, all right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like the fact that, that right there he hits Derrick Cole, hits the triangle drop kick, his infamous triangle drop kick, and uh, you know, you have uh, Cassidy on wobbly legs, then he comes in with like the sunset flip pin over the rope springboard sunset flip pin for the cover, you know, into the Michinoku driver. I thought that was a really solid stuff. These guys really worked for this, you know. Uh but again, you see what I mean about that cover there? All of that Michinoku driver into the cover where he hooks the leg. Why? Why <laughs> explain to me why? The fucking mimosas behind you. But uh, that's what they decided to do. So, all right. Good for them. I like the match. Um, I don't know what happens next. Don't tell, is this it? Jericho fell in the mimosa. That's it. He's gone. He's like the Joker. You know, at the end of this feud, is he going to come back tomorrow angry about the mimosa? Because it feels like a really damn long feud, right? Like, we'll come back all orange tomorrow again. And I knew it had to be Jericho that fell into the damn thing. You know what I mean? You can't bury Cassidy. How, like, how did you recover a guy whose name is Orange Cassidy from falling in the fucking orange juice? That's his last thing. You know, it's just crazy. Yeah, that's right. He ruined his hair with that. He definitely ruined his hair with that. I like that spot because uh, he's basically working Moxley's arm in this a lot of the way. Oh, I'm sorry. I jumped ahead there. I didn't mean to do that. I completely jumped ahead. I don't know why I said Moxley. But uh, like I said, overall, good stuff. Really fun match. And uh. I just would like there to be no covers the next time we have Mimosa. And I say the next time as if there was a last time, right? As if we're going to make this a thing from now on. Like every AEW all out who's going in the Mimosa next. It'll be like TNA did with the turkey. Remember that? Every Thanksgiving, somebody had to be the turkey. Remember, was Robbie E the turkey once? I think Robbie E was the turkey. So that goes to show he wasn't always. Robert Stone isn't that far cry from what he was. Now he's just a turkey full time. Anyway. Anyway, guys. I know it's late, so I'm going to try to wrap up here with the main event, I believe is next, right? Yes, main event. So we got uh, John Moxley defending his championship against MJF being accompanied by Wardlow. 79% of you thought that MJF and Wardlow were going to walk away with the title. 21% of you felt Moxley would be defending his belt. 21% of you were correct. Thanks to Wardlow, kind of, 
because he goes to throw MJF that stupid ring, the one that they use to bump people with, and MJF winds up missing it. He pulls a Gohan. Remember when Gohan missed the freaking earring? Anyone who watches Dragon Ball fans going to remember that moment. He had that Gohan moment. He missed the damn jewelry. You never have that shit. And uh, so he was essentially displaced at that moment. And it also distracts the ref. And then Moxley uses that opportunity to hit the paradigm shift, which up until this point, he had teased and tried to resist the temptation of hitting many times. Very solid stuff. There was a point during his intro where a kid fan tries to uh, run up to Moxley and he gets yanked away. And Jarrah's like, he just wants to touch his hero. I was like, yeah, all right, fair enough. As far as the match goes, MJF was able to back up his character with his wrestling. Um, he definitely looks good in the ring. He's someone who it's interesting how he can be that preppy character, but he's brutal and violent in the ring. He doesn't disappoint there. Lucky for him that he doesn't suck. You know what I mean? It's a blessing because you need, you need to not suck in order for this entire thing to work. You know, and it definitely does. This was the arm wrench that I mentioned early, but here you go. Because I was queuing it up. I jumped and now, MJ- oh, wow. I God. thought that looked pretty nice. Heavy world champion. And now, MJ- oh, wow. God. Wrenching the arm whip. Yeah, I thought that looked cool. Cool little spot there. Like I said, he's a brutal guy, and it's cool that you can get a guy like that. It's sort of like it reminds me to a different extent of what, uh, Mick Foley has done for people in a weird way. And what I mean by that, anybody that remembers the hierarchy and the history of wrestling will remember that it Mick Foley, and it takes nothing away from the other guys during his era, Mick Foley is, in a lot of ways, the guy who would get you over as being dangerous. Whether you were a formidable heel or a multiple-time champion, if you wanted to be perceived as this character is dangerous if you fuck with him, it was always your Mick Foley match that made people go, okay, this guy may be a heel asshole, but under the right circumstances, he can take you out. Because, uh, go back and you look at the King of the Ring tournament that he had with Hunter Hearst Helmsley. You know what I mean? And it's like that back and forth feud is really where you saw the worst of uh, Triple H in China and the things that they would have to do and the one-upsmanship between them, which sort of put him on the map. If you go back and look at The Rock, who, yeah, he was already doing all of his rock stuff, but no one looked at him as a guy who would be vicious until he had that brutal match with the Rock, where he basically with, with, with mankind, where he basically beat him with a chair. Like that really became the beginning of now you have this is a dangerous man. Where you hear JR selling it, he's like this man is unhinged, and we've never seen him like this. That was like the beginning of it for those guys, you know. Even to some extent, the Undertaker. As much as the Undertaker's reputation precedes him, he took it to another level when he took that bump for him, when he dived off the fucking cage through the announce table, and he fell through the cage and bumped into the ring and everything. That just made people think, holy shit, never face the Undertaker. You know what I mean? Like, as fans who understand the business, like, yeah, we adults were thinking, yeah, mankind took those crazy bumps. But when you think about it from a fictitious mind or even children watching it, what they saw was the Undertaker threw that motherfucker off the cage and then threw him through the ring. Don't ever mess with that guy. He threw mankind through the ring. Never again to be done. So essentially, I digress. The whole point of this being that uh, 
a, a brutal match from the right person puts you over. And I feel like Moxley, in a way, that's how it's going with MJF, where MJF already had that heel gimmick and he already has his lines and he's good on the mic and the preppiness and everything. But it was the he needed the brutality that he's been having with Moxley to sort of finish off his character. And he has that here. He got the Crimson Mask during this match. That was another thing. I think it's when he went into the post that helped add to it. You know, it's, it's obvious that they know that MJF is someone who needs to focus a little bit more on his vicious side in order to balance things out. So that's what they started doing here. And I think that they are. I think they did really good. You know, I think they did really solid for it. Uh, Wonderful stuff. Moxley still has that gotch pile driver that looks really cool. Let's see it here for you guys. Sorry, just pulling it up. Dog sleeper. Look out here. MJF looking to work back to that uh, left arm. Back slug. Oh, the gotch style pile driver. That could do it. That could do it. That could do it. Oh, no. There's what happens you got one arm to help uh, to, to execute your cover. Moxie's one arm. Look at that blood. He's got MJF's blood all over it. We're going to be crass here, but uh, it is going to Take another look at this. Moxie Boom. was able to power through. The, the bigger story is. Yeah, so, yeah, really brutal stuff there. Uh, you know, like I said, they did a really good job as far as this goes. And MJF. I like his ring work more than I like the character. And I'm not saying he plays the character bad or anything, but yeah, I'm not a fan of the character. In in the fictitious world of wrestling, that guy annoys me, which is what he's supposed to do, so good job. But uh, he really does annoy, like, the living shit out of me, like, a lot of the time. And I just try to let it go because he's doing his job. But it makes up for when you see him in the ring because he's really entertaining. Like, he's one of my favorites so far in AEW as far as um, the guys they're bringing in in the ring, you know. It was definitely his best match in AEW. You know, and it's not like they said he, what has it been, 45 days since the guy had a match? That's what it was, right? 45 days. So when you really think about it, I don't know how, I hope he was staying frosty for that time. Like, you have to believe that the guy wanted to stay frosty, you know? But again, the brutality in this and everything about it, it definitely complimented them. It did did good for Moxley, too. It showed that he has a formidable foe and somebody like that. Um, I did also cool callback. MJF hits the crossroads. (laughs) <laughs> on freaking moxley it was like holy shit he hit the crossroads how funny would that would have been a finish for the title because that would have been if they if they were going to go in that direction that would have been a great setup almost like the way that he ended the match was calling out cody so now cody's going to come back at some point and he's going to get the title you know mjf have being as cocky as he is that's the only way i could think of to fix it since he's the reason cody can't go for the world title mjf would have to win it and challenge cody you know, which is kind of what I thought was going to happen, but I guess maybe they're not ready for that yet, or maybe that's not what's going to happen at all. You know, but uh, overall, really cool, really cool stuff. Brutal match. Congratulations to uh, to all these guys and their wonderful performances. Really, you know, you don't really get to see stuff like that very much. And in hindsight, because I didn't think about it until I was really going through the the show, but in hindsight, I did enjoy the uh, the pay per view. Like, not everything needs to be a Broadway, as they call it in the business, you know? It's like, it's, there were good matches, you know? It was it was a good match. There was It was a long show. They didn't have any wasted time either, you know what I mean? Like, And they did recap, so it's not like it's just that they didn't show videos. They did recap, but the recaps were exactly as long as they needed to be. The action was as long as needed. The ring time, everything was well-balanced, and I think they put together a pretty balanced and solid re- wrestling show, you know? Once again, the only weak point of it really being some of the stuff with the women which even that, we had Thunder Rosa, so that wasn't as bad as it normally is. So for me personally, I think I was satisfied. And uh, 
you know, I prefer if those are on Sundays, but I know how they must feel like with the, the concern of maybe overlapping with a WWE one. And then now we have the, the Sunday night wars, right? Like if we haven't had enough different versions of the freaking wars already. So you don't really want that type of stuff to happen. So anyway, guys, that does it for us here. We've gone through everything in the card, I believe, right? I gave you guys the voting results. Yes, I did. So don't forget uh, to just check out all of our other stuff. Thank you to everyone who hung out for this. This is actually uh, the first ever solo act that I've put on. I wanted to do it just to be able to get that notch under my belt. And I'll just say, yeah, we got to do that. Got to just go by my own program, my own format. See how everything runs. Chat room. Stasis Dreams, Willie V2, EB Gamer, Cool Ice, Saddest Kitty, We Need Him, King Quest, Seb, AC, Two Pouty Lips, Princess League, A1 Bear, Bloodluster. All you guys listen across iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, uh, Twitch, every single platform, even TalkRunch.com. Thank you for being here. Do not forget that not tomorrow but monday we have the main flagship show talk brunch live 11 30 p.m eastern standard time where we're going to talk about everything under the sun including this controversial twitch situation that's happening with the wwe tomorrow night we will be back with other streams unrelated to wrestling but if you want to see gameplay of other various things come check us out there as well Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Talk Brunch Live, hosted by yours truly, Rick Dare, a.k.a. Captain Brunch. This has been episode 406, your AEW All Out 2020 post-show. On that note, I'm out of here. Shut it down.